Now you see me, now you don't. And death is a fickle thing. All coming up next on this 26th episode of Resurrection Revealed. Welcome back for another full discussion feedback show of the Resurrection Revealed podcast. Resurrection Revealed is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network, as well as being sponsored by our affiliate links over at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. You can buy season one of Resurrection on DVD or Jason Mott's brand new book that came out recently called The Wonder of All Things. Heck, get your holiday shopping started early using our affiliate link. Again, resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. Thanks for joining us for our fan theory and discussion episode. This is for season two, episode two of Resurrection Echoes and Resurrection Revealed is an unofficial podcast and blog by and for fans like you of ABC TV's Resurrection recorded October 7th, 2014. I'm at Wayne Henderson, your voice acting podcasting Green Bay Packers fan. And I'm at Troy Heinrichs, not feeling as great as Arthur might have been but at least I won't disappear, at least not until this episode is over. Please hang in there just for another hour. (laughs) Uh, Great to be with you. Show notes for this episode can be found over at resurrectionrevealed.com slash 26 for all the mind-bending listener theories that I'm sure we will get into in just a bit. Oh, where do we start? There was so much good stuff yet again this week on Resurrection. Well, if there's one thing that I learned from doing our Under the Dome podcast, which you can find at underthedomeradio.com, also on the Noodle Mix Network, is that you have to pay attention to that previously on segment because they did call out and reminded us all that Jacob can feel the presence of other returned. And I know that was going to come up in this episode, especially as it related to Bellamy, if nothing else. Yeah, that is a great tip because sometimes we kind of zone out when we start watching an episode of a television show. And even when they have the previously on, we figure, ah, that's just for the, the, the casual people that don't pay attention. But it does seem like lately, especially on Resurrection, they have included very important tidbits that uh, even though I think I would have remembered, it was great of them to remind us that Jacob can sense the other returned because, uh, Troy, that was brought up. What a surprise. Shocker as always. So the crows start flying over town. I thought it was really nice to kind of get an aerial perspective of the size of Arcadia this week. We never really got that in season one, and it does seem like it's a a quaint, small, mid-America town. But these crows, you know, one just happens to fall out of the sky, dead. Boom. Any reason, or was it just to move all the story along this week? I think there's definitely a reason behind it. I can't fathom what it is. But there's just something about Arcadia, and it's got to be tied to that mill that's closed down. But why the significance of a crow dying? Does a crow die and fall into the Langston's yard every time somebody that's human comes back from the dead? I I don't know, but somehow it's tied together. Is it directly related to the cicadas and them dying since they died off in mass, which technically does happen at the end of their life cycle? But the fact that there were so many of them... Is that tied into why the crow ends up just keeling out of the sky mid-flight? Great question. Listener, if you have an idea, give us a call at plus one nine oh four four six nine seven four six nine or just go to resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback and let us know your thoughts because there's gotta be a hundred different theories tied into how this all pieces together. Well, Jacob is certainly obsessed with death. I don't know if that's because he can't die or because he just wants to know what it's like to die or if he's concerned about his parents dying, like he has this conversation with grandma about it. And grandma, of course, says death is a fickle thing, but she actually shares a message of hope with Jacob that, you know, we came back, so maybe they would come back too if they died, which kind of puts grandma in a, I guess, jovial light, if you will. Maybe not jovial is the right word, but she doesn't seem so... (laughs) angry or badass like she seems to be the rest of the episode so maybe she's acting in character because a woman of the 40s 50s would have more of a strong demeanor a strong character growing up in that tough time if you will and maybe that's why she just comes across harsh when she's not really harsh at all Hmm, i hadn't thought about it that way and on the other hand just having uh jacob around does 
tend to soften one up a bit, especially, you know, she comes back and is trying to grapple with the fact of all the time that passed. But at the same time, she does have this pretty cool new grandson. Switch over to her son, Mr. Sheriff Fred Langston, getting off the sauce after he tried to make a move on Elaine last week. And now he takes his wedding ring off, not during the military thing, not while he's on his bender. Now he says, okay, I renounce Barbara, even though he's accepted his mom coming back. And that's kind of a quick turnaround. They don't really tell us how many days have passed since he had his altercation with his mom, uh, smacking him around a bit and everything. There's got to be more to it than just getting slapped senseless uh, by your mom a couple times, who's now back from the dead. But uh, it's good to see that Fred's turning things around, even though it does seem rather quick. I'm just glad that he's getting things together. Now, do you like the fact this is where I got confused this week, because at the end of last season, it had looked like Tom had taken Rachel over to either Janine's friend's house or Janine's mom's house. And Rachel was staying there because they needed protection. Now, granted, a week has passed and now Rachel's living in Tom's house and Janine is not there which of course we knew they were having some issues last season, but why would you let this person live in your house with you when you know that you're trying to mend this relationship with your wife? I have no idea. That whole thing was pretty strange. I'm not sure if pastor Tom was really, when we last left off, if he was trying to mend things up with his wife or he he was just more focused on trying to protect Rachel, but In either event, it was strange having her be there, even though she appeared to be in a different room. Which was a good thing. At least that was copacetic, right? You know, they they, they weren't sharing a bed together. It's not like they were trying to make this into a we're back together situation because of the kid. But where it got a little strange for me was she actually was, you know, why aren't you trying? I can't live here with your wife's stuff, you know, and she was really making a point of, you know, you should really try to get back together or talk to your wife. And then she has this bad dream about the fire and it almost starts to look like she wants to canoodle with them a little bit. And luckily Tom was able to push her away and have better thoughts about it. So why have a conversation of your wife? Is it just in the fact that she's in that moment because of the dream and she's scared that she would kind of double back on her comments of trying to get back together with Janine? Maybe so. And it's possible that this, Thing that we're calling a dream might actually not be a dream. It's, the fact that these people have all come back from the dead is strange enough, but it's possible that when they go back to sleep, perhaps they're not dreaming. They're going back to where they were just temporarily. I don't know. Anything's possible on the show, and it's so early to tell, but uh, it, it, it was just a fabulous episode. So much good stuff. Well, you're blowing my mind because you're we're not even 10 minutes in and you're already throwing out crazy theories, man. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> well, I told you last week when you put me on the spot and I didn't really have a theory that I'm trying to have lots of theories this time. <laughs> and that's the big question is this fire, right? Because it was alluded to by the, the dream. It was alluded to by Arthur when he's laying in the hospital room. And it seems like grandma is aware of the fire. Now, if the fire happened in 1935 and Arthur died in the fire, then at that point, if I'm doing the math, which I know we don't do math on a podcast, but then Grandma Langston should have been around the age of, uh, call it 16 or thereabouts, right? So she'd be old enough to know what's happening at the factory, but not necessarily involved in the factory. And it depends on if she was dating Mr. Langston, since we don't know Mr. Langston's name at the time in high school or not, because it's a small town and that's kind of what you do because you, you have families marrying into families and it just kind of keeps the cycle going. So does she know about the fire and how much does she know about the fire? And also how much did she know before she died? Because I think she's got this whole new sense of knowledge. Some somehow now that she's back returned I don't know if she gained the knowledge during this long period that she was dead or for her, it was maybe just an instant, but she knows a lot and she's got all sorts of senses that she is definitely a great add to the show. I mean, resurrection was already an excellent show with great actors, but bringing in 
the Langston's mom back from the dead and tying us back to whatever really went on way back in the 30s or so just adds a whole new level and it could go anywhere. And now I have not listened to Neil's voicemail, Jeff's voicemail or Ray's email. So I apologize if I'm going to steal thunder here early, but this dream, like you were saying, was it really a dream or was it a memory? And the fact that grandma Langston would have been too young yet. She might know about this fire. I'm starting to wonder if the return came back before, but is it a mishmash of memories? So you come back as you, but you also have the memories of all the other people that have come back previously, which is why Jacob has this spidey sense that he can feel other people because maybe it's a shared collective consciousness because there was also that conversation with grandma and Bellamy on the porch. You know, where have I seen you before? Or I feel like I've known you for somewhere. Does, does she know him? Does a part of a memory of her know him? Or did they actually see each other in the death state, the in-between, if you will? I would certainly like to know. I mean, he doesn't seem to be sensing anything himself other than remembering and feeling his uh, gunshot wound in his chest. But she does seem to know him. And obviously, I think that means that she did or does. It's just a matter, like you said, from what state and how much does she know? Because if she would recognize him... And we go back to the concept of potentially the Thompsons being from the 40s based on their dress, that if Bellamy had died in that flood and was a returned before, he still would have been a boy. So how would she have remembered Bellamy based on the way he looks today? Unless exactly. in that death state, you're kind of in a, a different state, if you will. You're in a consciousness state and you recognize the consciousness more than the physical appearance of a person. Right. I think they're going to tell us sometime this season, but uh, I think when it all, when the beans get spilled, we're, we're going to be shocked and amazed. Now I have the conversation about the factory and Henry makes a point to mention Jake Turner. He was the one that was running the factory after mom and Jacob had died. So is the assumption that Jake Turner ran it into the ground and the way grandma said Turner, like, the wrong side of the tracks. Like what the heck are you doing touching my property? You know, are we going to learn more about the Turner family as the show progresses? The way they threw that out there leads me to think that, yes, we're eventually going to find out something about that because it's, she was upset with every aspect of that uh, factory closing and, or being sold to the Turners. Uh, she just went full out ballistic. Her acting was incredible. And it seemed a lot more, and of course we find out at the ep at the end of the episode, but it was definitely, you could tell right away, more than just the fact that she thought it was like a almost like a family heirloom that needed to be passed down. And we get a few clues at the end of the episode why she grasps so tightly to this factory and how it never should have been allowed to fall into ruin. And then, of course, she also ties it into the, well, I'm just being upset about the fact that I wanted something that I could remember that I could hold on to for my own personal reasons. But is that just a ploy? Is that a front based on what she's trying to keep covered up when she goes and actually finds the bones laying under the floor? Because clearly she knew they were there because she's digging in one specific spot. Mm -hmm. I, I really want to know how involved she was, if perhaps she's the one that put those bodies there that turned into bones and was she so worried about the fact that it fell into disrepair because now that it's not a working factory anymore perhaps the odds are higher that somebody would happen across those bones and open up a whole uh, can of worms of investigations but if the factory was still open and running nobody may never find them i i don't know what ask how she's looking at it but it's definitely a secret she'd like to keep Let's keep on the track with the grandma here. So Henry says, you know, you need to go get checked out by the doc. And of course, in this case, the doc ends up being her own granddaughter, Maggie. <laughs> and I thought the meeting between the two of them was very great as they're talking about, you know, you, I was wondering where I got my eyes from. And Margaret says, well, they're my father's eyes. So Margaret, of course, is putting out there that heritage and family is really important to her and should be important to everybody. 
clearly when she's talking about the factory, like, you know, you might, you may have been grieving, but this factory was your family too. And you let that die, you know, so family is very important to her. And she's making that very clear, especially when she says, well, I could have been a nurse, but never a doctor back in my day, but your accomplishments don't mean anything without a family to share them with in referencing the fact that Maggie has not wed yet. Yeah, it was like a veiled compliment and a put down all at the same time. And of course, family is a great thing and is very important. But I believe that uh, Grandma Langston's taking it to an extreme and almost worshiping family above everything else. So let's talk about Arthur then. He comes back. Of course, they think it's Caleb because it's Caleb's hunting shack that he's staying in. And Arthur is sick really sick (laughs) very very sick this guy's not going to be around very long now is he sick i mean maggie alludes to him being sick versus everybody else being a completely clean bill of health or is he coughing because he's having the kind of backlash symptoms like bellamy was having the backlash symptoms of getting shot in the chest is he having backlash symptoms of coughing because he's remembering being trapped in the fire and he's not really sick until he realizes he's a return and it stops happening just like Bellamy stopped happening, even though he still thinks about the bullets and he thinks about what happened, but his chest doesn't hurt like it did in the first episode. You think that's a plausible explanation of why he's coughing so much? Is he not really sick? He's just stuck in that memory state. I'm not sure they made such an emphasis about all the other returned who were suffering all sorts of different things, including cancer And other issues, when they came back from the dead, they were totally healthy. Whereas this guy, I believe he said he'd never been sick a day in his life. And now he comes back from the dead and he's the only one that's sick. And they even mentioned how he is sick. I don't know. In fact, I'm even wondering if perhaps Arthur's dead body are some of those bones in under the uh, floorboards there at the factory. Oh, that's a given. That's a must. If he died in the fire and I assume the fire was at the factory based on some things that we're thinking and seeing and leading up to, then the bones, one of those bones has to belong to Arthur. I wonder who the other people are. Well, more importantly, how are we ever going to know if the bones belong to Arthur? Because, uh oh, something happened to Arthur. (laughs) Something very mysterious that we, the viewers, did not get to see. And the first thing I thought of was, okay, Grandma Langston took care of him like literally took care of him like a, like a black ops CIA type show. And I was like, okay, I'm watching too much blacklist for my other <laughs> podcast, the blacklist exposed over at golden spiral media.com. But about that. Uh, the thing that struck me is that light in the hallway flickered and Maggie hit it with the broom. And then when they made the point of going to look for Arthur's blood and Arthur's blood was also missing, then I got to thinking of, Oh, is this a true disappearing act like Caleb? And really the reason why Arthur disappeared was because he got closure about the fire from grandma. Wow. Wow. It just. With grandma Langston going in to visit him at about the same time that he disappeared. She has to have something to do with it. I just think she has to. But of course, how she made him and his blood totally disappear, much like happened with some of uh, Caleb and some others. Um. I'm wondering if she knows the secret on how to make them disappear. And of course, we'll find out much later in the season or even next season when they disappear. Do they go back to where they came from before they were returned or do they move on to a different state or a final state? But I long story short, I think grandma had something to do with it. Now, was the light flicker tied into that or was the light flicker tied into the fact that there was interference from a wireless camera that was spying on them inside of the clinic, which Bellamy, of course, was the first one to spot. With a disappearance that mysterious, I think it has to do with whatever's making them disappear, the magical forces behind it. I don't think it's just the interference from the camera, the way they emphasized it, because you could see the power surging, pulsating, that is somehow is tied together. It's just meant to signal it to us. But then again, I could see them trying to explain it away with, some sort of simple scientific explanation as well. But that scene was so cool. Yeah. And the fact that the elegant woman didn't know anything about it clearly shows that 
the disappearing act happened again. That's what I'm saying. It's exactly the Caleb situation because the blood was also missing. Agreed. 100%. And it's odd that she only, as far as we know, has enlisted Bellamy to supposedly rat on the other returned. There's got to be somebody that she has working for her. That's also spying on Bellamy because you don't just trust one guy who's already a little iffy to, uh, kind of keep tabs on this whole huge operation. Switching gears then, let's talk about Janine. And it was good to see Janine still on the show. And she comes to talk to Pastor Tom. He's leaving the church because they want a true, you know, traditional Christian message, Christian pastor. And he just doesn't know if his faith is there right now. Uh, Janine kind of talks to him and says, yeah, I'd, I'd like to pick up some stuff, but I don't want her to be there. And then she finds the... Uh, sonogram picture and then talks to her friend about it. And then magically she shows up in the middle of the night, does a little canoodling and boom, she's there in the morning. So how does she go from in the morning being, I don't really want to do this right now to immediately switching gears, sleeping with her husband. Cause that's okay. Cause they're still married. Is it the right motive though? Was she doing it to get back at Rachel? Was she doing it because she really wants to try to make things work with Tom because she really believes that she's supposed to be a mother to alien baby or super baby, whatever we were calling it. (laughs) I don't even want to call it super baby, though there is something supernatural going on with it. I think it's that she really wanted to get back with her husband. And I think she felt a little bit better about the situation, even though it's never a good thing to have another lady living in your house in this other room. But the fact that she discovered that she was actually living in the other room and that nothing else appeared to be going on, that she thought, okay, I can I can get back with my husband. We had this nice talk about him possibly opening up his own smaller church uh, that he could be the pastor of and not have all the political things. I think that it was all the right motives. And at the same time, if by some chance this sends a stronger message (laughs) to Rachel as well, then okay. I don't know if you noticed this. There's two things in this sequence that I have to point out because the tree was the symbolization in the beginning of the opening credits, right? And then there was the tree that Tom and Rachel were standing by in season one. And above Rachel's bed, there looked like there were two pictures of trees, very similar looking to the one in the credits and the one that they stood underneath. Is that just decoration or do you think that was intentional? I didn't even notice that. I'm going to have to watch this episode a third time just to look for that. No, I didn't see it. And then if you go back to our numbers theory from the Bible last episode or last week's full episode about three, seven, 10, 12. Did you happen to notice any 12s or sevens this week, Wayne? I'm not sure if I would have noticed it. If not for the discussion we had that you brought up last week on the uh, podcast. So, yes, I saw a 12.07 a.m. on the alarm clock around the time that Rachel uh, was screaming. I'm thinking that it's almost like, hey, 12 and 7. We heard that talked about on the podcast. We'll be sure to slap it on the alarm clock. Of course, I know this was filmed many months ago, but it, it's it's real. It is real. It was there. I caught it right away. I was like, oh, look at that. I didn't think it was going to become anything after I talked about it last week. But boom, there it was. 12-7, right on the clock. Pretty blatant and obvious for it to be seen. Exactly like the trees that you talked about above the bed, even though I myself missed them upon initial viewing. If those were pictures of trees above the bed, they were definitely there for a reason. I think on a show like Resurrection, almost everything is meant to mean something And they probably do it just so we'll pay closer attention and look for stuff. And I'm all for it. So does that mean there's subtle hidden meetings inside of Bellamy's new office with those chemicals that he has to breathe in every day? I would not be surprised. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here to provide you support and resources. Here's your support and resources. Thanks, Fred. (laughs) Oh, Fred Fred and Bellamy, the the partnership is kind of getting back together slightly. How do you feel? about Elaine's character so far this season. Do you feel she's kind of been put on the back burner? Do you feel there was enough with the Fred last week and that you kind of resolved that this week? 
I'd like to see more of her character kind of rise back out of this. And I want to say being a server is a rut, but she was, you know, one of like the head people at the bank. So how does she get some kind of redemption story? I think that would be interesting to explore. Yes, I I could see that. But unless her brother Ray, which we haven't seen yet this season, we hope we see Ray again or Caleb re-returns. Unless one of those two things happens, I'm not sure if they'll uh, take any of the valuable time of this season to touch on that. Though, you know, in real life, there definitely is a story there. It's just a matter of in these shorter television seasons, if they'll have time to touch on that. Then we have the bird situation. So Jacob's been playing with him in the backyard. He's doing what looks like experiments, you know, quickly open the box, see if it's going to come back to life and all this jazz. And of course, mom comes out back to find him doing it and she freaks out and she literally rails him for doing this to the, you know, did you kill these birds, you know, and go inside and wash your hands. And she's being very motherly like, and then it almost breaks her heart. It seems that Jacob goes and confides in grandma And then she realizes that maybe she was a little bit over the top, but she's coming from a place of fear because she's afraid that if he's different, people make fun of him. Maybe he'll get taken away. I would assume that these are natural reactions that a mom's going to have. It's just that she hasn't been a mom for 30 years. Oh, absolutely. She's not exactly positive how to react. For one, she's trying to balance the fact that her mother-in-law who Apparently, it doesn't look like they had a very good relationship uh, when they were both alive the first time. So that's kind of stressful. And then Jacob's doing really weird things. I mean, you know, first he comes back from the dead. That's kind of strange. And this whole bird thing, I I don't think she got uh, so overworked just because it was a bunch of dead birds. But you got to admit, that's pretty mysterious. And, you know, you shouldn't be touching them, uh, Jacob. You definitely do need to wash your hands. But uh, I think even without that scene, Jacob seems to connect more with grandma just because they're both returned and grandma's so mysterious and and loving for her grandson. The whole thing is very complicated and it could go all sorts of different directions as far as how these personalities are going to clash. So the overall arching theme of this week, I think, was family. And I started to think about why that's important and why Grandma Langston was really harping about it. And then I got to thinking about, okay, well, why do they take some people away? And if you can claim you're returned, they can stay in Arcadia. And as I go through the list of people that were claimed, they're really all family related. So is the familial tie bigger in this overarching story more than we've even thought about. I'm not sure that I don't know how they're going to work that in any further. I just think it's kind of strange that with this big, huge conspiracy that's kind of happening behind the scenes that they would just let uh, Jacob and some of the other return just stay in town with only Bellamy watching them. Whereas all these other hundreds from all sorts of different times have been taken away and who knows if they're really safe. It, It's kind of strange, but I think it's going to boil down to the fact that the Langstons are the pivotal family and perhaps the elegant woman and her team know that. And so if anybody's related to the Langstons, we're definitely going to leave them alone and keep an eye on them because perhaps they're trying to find out what on earth is going on with that closed factory as well and how it ties into things. So many great questions. So many more questions. I just love this show so far. People are like, well, it's a slow episode. And I actually really like the pace so far. And I was going back to earlier announcements about season two earlier today. And they said, you know, hey, it might be 15, might be 16 episodes. What I I heard through the grapevine, doing a little bit of research, it sounds like we're actually going to settle in at the 13 episode mark. So they were going to do 13 episodes and then based on how things were going, maybe pick up an extra three or four, you know, to kind of round out the, the filler in January, February. But it looks like right now, the, from what I'm hearing sometime mid December is when they're going to wrap shooting in Atlanta. And because of the way the filming schedule works, I think they're currently working on episode six or seven. 
And based on that, they'd have about six more that they could get in. So I think 13 is where we're going to land for this year. That makes sense. And even then, it's a pretty quick turnaround for these episodes. Yeah, they say they were shooting about like eight or nine days per episode. So if you if you do the math again, it, it basically comes out to about six episodes left that they could shoot between now and the middle of December. It's going to be interesting to see how they put it all together. And it's still, it, it, it's in a way kind of frustrating that I hear people saying, that they think the show is slow moving. It might just be a symptom of everybody having shorter attention spans. Thanks to all the fast moving shows. I mean, you can't say for under the dome that we did during the summer, that was not slow moving at all. I mean, there was more stuff in every episode that we could possibly ever keep track of. But I think it's just, you use the term slow burn. And I think just the fact that they're telling a story and it gives us time to watch and think about everything instead of all the answers being thrown at us. I think this is a different type of show, and I love having a different type of show like Resurrection. Yeah, I, I equate it to fireworks. If you ever go to a fireworks show, the rockets that go up you know, really quickly in the air, you can see the trail and they burn out and boom, you know, a little sparkle, it's all over. You get those ones where it's like the orange line just and it's going up and going up and going up and going up, and the anticipation because you know something's going to happen and then bam, it's like real big spider. I, I think that's what resurrection is. I think it's that you're just watching the rocket trail slowly go up and go up and go up. And by the time the season finale hits, it's going to be awesome. And anybody that says that they jump ship because it's too slow, you're going to miss out. Absolutely. It, I hope everybody stays with the ride because I don't want anybody to miss out. There's going to be some more awesome things coming our way. Let's go ahead and give our ratings for this week. I will give it. I'm going to give it an eight this week. Eight mm. out of 10 familial ties to stuff. <laughs> I can't wait to find out what the stuff is. That's still an awesome, awesome rating. I'm going to give this episode of Resurrection entitled Echoes. Just like last week, nine, nine out of 10 dead crow funeral pyres. Now, people were saying that the crow came back to life. I did not see the crow come back to life. I heard other crows maybe singing their friend away to heaven or whatever, flying up above, but I did not see the actual crow come back to life, Phoenix style. Uh, me neither. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss something. I, unless we both missed it or different parts of the country are seeing a different edit. <laughs> I would love it if a show did that. That would really mess up some people. Uh, I did not see any crows come back to life. Well, if we did miss it, the good thing is that the resurrection revealed listener community has some of the best questions and best theories of all the people that watch the show. And it'll be coming up in just a second in the feedback section of the podcast. If you want to be part of the fan feedback portion of Resurrection Revealed, you can head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback and go ahead and submit your theory or thought and be a res head too. Or you can give us a buzz at plus one nine zero four four six nine seven four six nine, just like our buddy Jeff did, Mr. X-Force 11. Hey, this is Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11. I'm calling in for Resurrection. Um... I think the Janine Rachel situation um, is like the Sarah and Hagar situation in the Bible. Um, Sarah wasn't able to have a child with uh, Abram, and um, at that time he wasn't yet Abraham, and um, so she gave him Hagar to have a kid to continue on the line. Well. That was fine at first, but then there was jealousy later, and she wanted, you know, him, her and the Hagar and Ishmael thrown out of the camp. So I'm thinking it may be a similar situation, but some of that resentment happening on the front side. Um, you know, Janine's, you know, being there and trying to support her husband and say maybe you need to start a smaller church or whatever she gets talked to by the friend and she's willing to accept 
you know, this other woman and this child in the life because she hasn't been able to conceive, uh, just like Sarah in the Bible uh, wasn't able to conceive. But there was jealousy, and later on, um, the Lord did give them a child. But uh, I think that's kind of maybe a biblical analogy that they're trying to build in there. Um, but it's still going to be difficult on the backside, I think, um, for Janine um, when they uh, – actually the baby actually comes so we'll see all right thanks guys look forward to hearing the rest of your theories bye jeff gentry thanks so much for giving us a buzz and i kind of like this we had you know cain and abel come up last week and now we're talking about abraham sarah and hagar in sticking with these old testament stories now i remember it a little bit differently and not to say jeff may be right or i'm right or whatever so someone could correct either one of us but my understanding of the story is that Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. And he's actually, like Jeff said, Abram at the time, they were really, really old. And God had said, be patient, you'll have a kid. Well, Abram actually took it upon himself to have relations with Hagar, which created Ishmael and eventually the Ishmaelites, and which eventually becomes the Arab Muslim nation of the world. And because of that, God kind of punishes Abraham, but he also holds true to his promise. So that's where Hagar gets banished with Ishmael and they leave the camp. And eventually Sarah does get pregnant and have kids, which is Isaac, who becomes the father of uh, Israel and Joseph and King David and all the way down the line to Jesus. But, you know, would this be the case? Because they showed this them, they had... They showed the relations scene. And I, and for me, it was kind of like at first it, it was a little weird to see them having sex in the show the way they did. Cause I didn't see anything like that in the first season. So it kind of threw me off a little bit. Like, I don't know if you needed to go that far, but with Jeff's theory now, maybe that's the case. Maybe by Janine repenting or coming back to her husband, maybe she's now able to get pregnant and would end up having the Isaac of the situation. Wow. You and Jeff Gentry, you know your Old Testament uh, very, very well. I'm I'm familiar with the story, but I'd forgotten some of the pieces of it. That makes total sense. And I, I love how you guys are piecing that together. And as, of course, with Pastor Tom and his wife, unlike a lot of television shows, we have a married couple. So, okay, um, I'm fine with that. One thing that's going to be interesting, and we touched on it a little bit last season, is nobody has come right out and proved one way or another that this baby is Pastor Tom's, right? Yeah, I mean, she said that it had to have been Tom's because she says she hadn't been with anybody else. But I don't think that because she said, like, don't tell Tom. And when she said, don't tell Tom, you know, when we talked to Mark Hildreth and we talked to Kathleen Monroe uh, during the interviews last season, it, they alluded to the fact that they think that it is their kid, but I don't think there was anything definitively in the canon of the show that said it is Tom's baby. Then there was no DNA test or anything like that. Right. And I assume, of course, once this fast growing baby is born, that they will definitely do that. But until they tell us one way or another, I want to leave that window open that it may or may not be Pastor Tom's baby at all. And it, if anybody's thinking immaculate conception like Mary and Jesus, I think it was clearly implied that the two of these people had relations before pastor Tom and Rachel. So right. there wouldn't be an immaculate conception thing going on here, but could it be some other entity element, spiritual, what have you that caused Rachel to get pregnant or some other man that she's denying all knowledge of even knowing. Or going back to your theory from earlier, maybe it's a memory of a man and it's really not their baby at all. It's actually somebody else in a previous life's baby, but she's surrogating the carrying of it. Anything is possible. And it's going to be interesting to see how the whole story unfolds. I love it. Well, our good buddy Ray is back this week, and he said that this episode seems to be a setup for something bigger to come in the next or potentially future episodes. It's a very interesting title. An echo is similar to like ripples in the water or going back to the light cone from last week, expanding from a point or event. 
the sound waves originate from one point and then travel to another, bounce off that second point and expand, hitting objects or subjects in their return path. Could that be what the resurrected are doing on their route or path through time? The word echo could also be referring to voices or memories from the past. I did find it interesting that the entire episode was connected to family. Last season, we did learn that Marty did have a family in Arcadia in the time of the flood. The man of that family had something to do with the Langston factory. Grandma Langston may have met Marty back then or in another point in time past the time of the flood. If we can assume that Marty did drown and return from that death also. The same goes for Arthur. That's how he is known. Lucille is truly worried about Jacob. I think it's a little past being jealous of Grandma Langston and Jacob's close bonding. They seem to have another connection, the past being too returned. I knew that Jacob knew about Marty last week. He told his grandmother that he could feel or knew when the other returned were around and mentioned other names that he could tell were near. I believe that Marty was one of the people that Jacob had mentioned. I don't think that Fred knows about Marty's situation, and the ending of the episode creates a lot of questions about next week. Who do the bones belong to? Best acting of the episode this week goes to Landon. Thanks so much, Ray, for sending that in. Thoughts on that, Wayne, at all? Amazing stuff as usual, Ray. You know your stuff and always find ways to tie in the most complicated theories in a way that can go with this television show. And I love how they piece together. I liked how he brought up the fact that he doesn't think that Fred knows about Marty as far as him being one of the returned. And I agree 100%. Fred would probably have said something. So I think for right now, it's just Jacob and maybe Grandma Langston. I think they've given her the, the name Margaret Langston, right? Correct. Because after a while, we're going to stop calling her Grandma, only because I have a feeling that there might even be more people like perhaps her parents. And so it could get complicated. But uh, I think Fred's going to find out, though, and it's going to make, you know, poor Fred, bless his heart. His life was already complicated before all these people started coming back. And it just keeps getting more and more out of control. Yeah, and I have to agree. I thought Landon did a really good job. I mean, being a kid actor, number one, and just having those scenes where he's, you know, working with inanimate objects, with the bird, with the box, with the leaves, digging the hole, using the stick, you know, to have the kind of connection he had with that bird, just a fantastic job. And then, of course, these deep conversations he's having with uh, Francis Fisher, the deep conversations he's having with um, Michelle Fairley, you know, really, really great job by Landon Jimenez. So great to see him coming into his own here in season two. Absolutely. 100 percent. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling into Resurrection Revealed for Resurrection Season 2, Episode 2, Echoes. The visit of his mother has changed Sheriff Langston. He has a new lease on life and getting rid of his alcohol now. He goes to a bar during the episode and just orders water. He has been contacted about Bellamy's new role. While he's not thrilled about it, he will at least work with him. He does not act like he knows Bellamy is a returned. If I think if Bellamy's new boss had told Fred about him... Uh, it would have undermined his role. Grandmother Langston tells Bellamy, I feel like we've met before. I believe it is just a link between returned. What Jacob says later, we are, really are different. That difference links them. Arthur Holmes died in a fire in 1935, and unlike all other return we've seen so far, is ill. Was he ill when he died and being returned only eliminated the injuries from the fire? Is it because of the fire death in of itself. The link between return is shown again as Rachel dreams of being trapped in a fire. Arthur is probably reliving his death during the night. These are probably the echoes of the title of the episode. Margaret Langston says, I only hope I ease the poor man's suffering. It seems that she helped Arthur disappear in some fashion. She knows more about being returned than we know. As seen in the end, she also knows about the fire and reveals bones in the factory of people who died there. Janine gets a good talk with a friend about Tom's situation and she decides that she is going to give their marriage another chance. It's lucky she didn't arrive when Tom was comforting Rachel. He did resist doing more with Rachel and is quite happy to see Janine who arrived at an appropriate time. 
As mentioned in the initial reactions, there's a lot about family in the episode, and it seems that the link between Returned is making them a family of sorts. That's all. Looking forward to the next episode of Resurrection. Thank you so much, Neil, for sending in your feedback. It's greatly appreciated. Brought up some great points there. I totally forgot about the part where Fred goes into the bar and just has a glass of water. That should have been a huge signal that Fred has totally changed things around. I can't remember. Did he ask for the water or did Elaine kind of be like, hey, you want some water? Uh, end result is he had a glass of water. Right. <laughs> and also, so Arthur Holmes, I forgot that they mentioned Holmes was the last name and Neil reminded us. But Neil reminded me of a great part there where Margaret Langston, grandma, says that she hopes that she eased Arthur's suffering. To me, that means she definitely took care of his disappearance. I don't know in what way yet, though. Right. And I think that it, it has that connection of what we were talking about with Caleb. His purpose was done, right? The, the connection he had, because there was no connection between him and Elaine anymore, that's what allowed him to go ahead and disappear because there was always this thought that, you know, she wanted her dad back. And now that she doesn't, that's why he disappeared here. Maybe hearing about what caused the fire, what happened in the fire, why the fire, you know, maybe that was enough to ease Arthur's suffering. And that's what caused him to disappear. Hmm. That's an interesting theory. Hey, I've heard somebody say that before. Um, let me ask you this. When Arthur disappeared, and Caleb disappeared. Do you think they went back to wherever they were before they came back to life? Or have they gone to a totally different location of sorts? I can only answer that if people agree to turn down your volume for about a minute, maybe less, as it would tie directly into the ending of Jason Mott's novel. So I don't want to spoil it for anybody that may want to read the book and find out what happens. So I'll give you two seconds here to uh, turn down your volume for about 30 seconds or so. Just hit your, you know, fast forward 15 second button twice or your two minute skip and then uh, back it up if you need to. But three, two, one. Spoiler zone. In the end of the book, as they are mourning over the loss of Lucille, Henry and Jacob, Jacob just kind of, disappears. So the, what I got out of the ending of the book was that because there was this morning of Jacob's passing and no one was there to help Henry through it in the case, Harold in the book, but there was no one there to help him through it because of Lucille's passing. Jacob was there to help Henry slash Harold through that transition. And when he was through that transition and accepting of it, that's why Jacob went away. So uh -huh. it ties into the book in a sense of the disappearing is because they're there for a purpose. And when they're done with their purpose, they just go. There's no real answer to why they came back. They just were there because we needed them. We had that connection. We claimed them, if you will. And as long as we were claimed, we were here. But once we're no longer claimed, we disappear. I like that. I wonder if, if that's the whole aspect behind it, because there could be much, much more. If that is the whole aspect behind it, why would some of these people from like World War One have come back? Because there's nobody really left for them to, you know, kind of complete their mission with. Well, and that's so that part was never explained in the book because the book was always like the show focused on the Langston family specifically. Right. Right. So. So. And. It's one of these that environments where you can tell stories forever, you know, just like lost, right? Just because Damon and Carlton and Carlton Cuse actually mentioned this in an article this week, you know, that the island and Dharma and Hansel Foundation and Widmore Corporation, and there are more stories to tell. It's just that the story that Damon and Carlton wanted to tell is over. So you could go back to that universe and tell other stories. Could that be the same thing here? This story is about the Langstons and Arcadia and there might be more stories to tell as to why other returned are where they are and why they are. Well put. Well put. Well, I think that uh, wraps it up for the feedback this week. Remember, if you want to be part of the fan feedback section, you can go ahead and comment right on our post on the, on the page, uh, the post for this week for this episode. 
is resurrectionrevealed.com slash 26. Or in the case of the initial reactions on Sunday night, it'll be slash 27. So you can always comment on the initial reaction. We ask a bunch of questions on there. Wayne will be up this week for our initial reactions episode, pending any travel or other arrangements. And of course, you can visit resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback to throw any question, any theory, any time. Doesn't even have to be for the show. We just like talking with you and discussing with you. Oh, absolutely. No need to limit it to just that episode or any of the questions that we threw out. Anything. You you could talk about Lost, Fringe, <laughs> uh, the Green Bay Packers, whatever you want. So in closing, reminding you that Resurrection Revealed is not yet affiliated with ABC Television or Plan B although we'd like to be as an unofficial podcast. We do have costs to keep things going here at the website and with the podcast. So if you'd consider supporting our fan podcast, there's a few ways you can do it. You can do all of your Amazon shopping for yourself or for others through our affiliate link at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. And you could even donate directly to the show, invest in making resurrection revealed even better. You could donate once at any amount you'd like, or even sign up for an ongoing monthly donation you can do that. And we're still working on getting our uh, agreement worked out, hopefully with somebody there in Atlanta so that we can give a portion of the proceeds to a charity down there where they film resurrection. So stay tuned for that information as we get that partnership solidified. And then of course, connect with all of us on Twitter and Facebook. You can do that at resurrection pod on Twitter, or just go on over to resurrectionrevealedcom slash Facebook. And you can hook up with us there. That would be fun. And you can even follow us on our personal accounts on Twitter. I'm at Wayne Henderson. And I am at Troy Heinrichs. But most importantly, the best way to interact with the show is to subscribe. You could do that a couple of ways, right from our subscribe links right at the top. There's iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app. You can get the feed anytime, anywhere. Just make sure you subscribe so you get the latest episode. And then, of course, we want to make sure that you leave a great five-star written review in iTunes because that really helps the show get noticed. And you could do that now directly from your pre-installed iOS 8 podcast app that is on your iOS device. Isn't that cool? Technology is getting better and better and helping out podcasts and podcasters all the time. So please go ahead and do that. We greatly appreciate it. Till that next episode of Resurrection Revealed, I'm at Wayne Henderson. And I'm at Troy Heinrichs. See you next time on Resurrection Revealed. Resurrection Revealed is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx especially the Once podcast. If you're already watching Resurrection, you should be watching Once Upon a Time right before it at 8 Eastern and Pacific, 7 Central, and then listen to Once, the unofficial podcast and blog and forum with theories and talk about ABC's Once Upon a Time. All this and a bunch more of great content is waiting for you all over at noodle.mx.